Well, here we go. Are you ready? Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 21. We'll look at verses 36 to, or 26 to 36. We're not going to finish the chapter because the closing uh, four verses actually belong to chapter 22. Now, there's kind of an interesting element uh, that is recorded in our text and the whole of the narrative of the book of Acts. As we're beginning to transition from Paul's arrest and harassment in Jerusalem to his final imprisonment in Rome, where this chronicle of Luke's is going to come to an end. Now, the interesting element is found in Acts 13, 44 to 47. At least it's introduced there, where we're told on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But... When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Aren't you glad God is still in the business of saving souls today? Amen. Now, Paul's pattern in his three missionary journeys was consistent with what we just read in Acts chapter 13. Every city that he went to, he would go to the Jew first and then move on outward toward the Gentiles. And his pattern during his three missionary journeys is consistent with now how the transition from itinerant ministry uh, ministry to prison ministry is going to take place. As Paul now goes to the Jews in Jerusalem first, and then by way of Caesarea, he is taken to the Gentiles in Rome. Now, the last time we were together, we noted that Paul was accused of forbidding new Jewish believers from being circumcised, that he was teaching them to disregard the law, which as we noted last time, were actually false accusations. And the leaders of the church in Jerusalem did rejoice over the thousands of Gentiles who had believed through the ministry of Paul, yet they were desirous of placating the Jews in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost, where Josephus and others record there was possibly as many as two million Jews who had swelled the population of the city. Now, James and the elders had decided that something had to be done to assure Jewish Christians that Paul wasn't against the Mosaic law. And what they proposed to Paul is that he take four men who had taken a Nazarite vow and were coming to the end of their vow period and that he would pay the cost of both their purification rites as well as the necessary sacrifice to be offered at that time so they could shave their heads and thus signify the end of the period of the vow. Now, Paul himself wasn't under that vow, even though we noted in chapter 18, he had taken the same vow. And Josephus says that this was not an uncommon practice for one to sponsor another during their time of making a vow before the Lord. And Paul, because of his desire to be all things to all men, agreed with the Jerusalem council. Now, we noted last time that some see this as Paul's greatest ministry failure. Others view it, coupled with that, as a significant error on the part of the Jerusalem council, while others see this as nothing more than Paul desiring to be 
all things to all men. Now, there are good scholars on either side of the, of the debate, as we mentioned last week. But one thing I think that we need to take note of in coming to our own final conclusion is what Paul said in Galatians 2, 11 to 13. He said, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, Jews from Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their what? Their hypocrisy. Now, I find it interesting that the actions of the Jerusalem council were in fear of the circumcision in fear of what the Jews were thinking and sharing. So I'm not sure how what Paul did here in taking this vow, or at least financing it, in obedience to the Jerusalem council was any different than what Peter did, because both were motivated by a fear of offending their fellow Jewish Christians. Now, our takeaway was simply this, even though scholars are divided on the issue. Listen, we need to remember, we don't derive our doctrines or our directions from culture or religious traditions. We derive our doctrines from the Word of God. We derive our practices from the Word of God. And as we'll see this morning and beyond, the council's council was ineffective. And even though Paul did exactly what they asked him to do, what followed is that there was a riot in Jerusalem. He was beaten. Then he was arrested and imprisoned. Now, for our purposes this morning, we need to note that this event opens up for us a series of parallels that we're going to examine in detail this morning of Jesus in the days before his arrest, mock trial, and illegal execution. Now, our text and topic this morning is best introduced to us by something Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11.1, where he said, imitate who? Me, as I do what? As I imitate Christ. Now, our title this morning could be, I toyed with the idea since we've had some kind of corny titles lately, Follow the Leader, but it also could be Genuine Imitation. How many of you remember that guy on TV that talked about genuine imitation leather? But if that's not an oxymoron, genuine imitation. But we used that before in the past and told the same joke at the time. But listen, our title is a bit more spiritual this morning, and it is rightfully so, because our title, our goal, our desire should be, here's our title, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus is our title this morning. And therefore, we are also reminded from Ephesians 5, 1 to 7, to be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. And we'll talk more about that at the end of our time uh, this morning. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But... Fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting or dirty jokes, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be what? 
partakers with them. Don't participate in the practices of the world, is what Paul is saying. And I think these verses are needful and uh, will help us introduce our text today because we live in a time where some people define being like Jesus as accepting all behaviors. Some people see being like Jesus as expecting nothing from anyone in the form of repentance and personal transformation. And some people today see being like Jesus as accepting everyone's beliefs just because they believe them. Now listen this morning, that's not being like Jesus. Being like Jesus reminds us Jesus didn't accept all behaviors. He exposed the sin of the woman at the well, and he told the woman caught in the very act of adultery who was being uh, used in an effort to trap Jesus as a violator of the law. He was told, he or he told her, go your way and do what? Sin no more. He didn't give her a free pass, as some say. He called her to repentance. And listen, everybody who comes to faith in Christ have all experienced the transformative power of the gospel and repentance. And remember, Jesus rebuked false beliefs and he warned of the rise of false religions in the last days, including those who employ his name. Now this morning we're going to look as a uh, at a comparison of Paul's life and Jesus' life as both the God-man and the man of God near the end of their days on earth. I submit to you this morning, this is important because I believe we're nearing our end of the days on earth and soon we're going to hear a trumpet blast and be supernaturally translated into the presence of God in immortal incorruptibility and forever be with the Lord. So, since we too are living in the last days as Paul was in his last days, as Jesus was in his last days. And therefore, to some degree, we can expect to have similar experiences. So are you ready this morning to learn more about what it means to be like Jesus? Would you stand and read with me, please? Acts chapter 21, verses 26 through 36. Acts 21, 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. 
And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him. And Lord, it is truly our desire to be more like Jesus. We thank you that we have the blessed hope of his glorious appearing, our supernatural transformation that we mentioned a moment ago. But Lord, in the meantime, we pray that we would live these days as we await that day for the glory of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us more on how to do that, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our first consideration this morning and how to be like Jesus will come from verses 26 to 29, where an accusation, as I mentioned, that proved to be false from our uh, mention of Acts 18 last week, is leveled against Paul. And it's the same accusation that was leveled against Jesus, and that is that they were violators of the law. Now, one account of the accusation against Jesus is found in Luke 13, 10 to 17 where we're told he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her uh, and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed when? On the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan is bound, then Jesus says, Think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Every time Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath, he was brought under accusation of being a violator of the law. And the truth is, Jesus didn't violate the law. He fulfilled the law. As a matter of fact, he's the only one who ever has fulfilled the law. And many of the feasts and festivals associated with the law of the Jews were pointing to Jesus. Now, Paul is branded with the same accusation, even as he sought to prove that he wasn't against the law, that he wasn't against the Jewish people, that he wasn't against the Temple Mount and grounds, and announcing the expiration of the days of the purification for the four men having ended, he was trying to show the Jews that he was personally and financially supportive of the vow they had made, even though it was simply a tradition. Now, at the end of the seven days, Jews arrived from Asia. Now, Asia means Asia Minor, not Asia as we would think of it today. And the fact that Paul was in Ephesus for three years and that Trophimus was recognized by these Jews makes Ephesus the best candidate for the hometown of these Jews from Asia Minor who stirred up the crowd in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost. Now, It's also important to remember that the Feast of Pentecost initially was associated with a wheat harvest, but later in Jewish history, it came to be associated with the giving of the law. Some rabbis taught that the law was given on Mount Sinai, actually 50 days after the exodus from 
Israel. So at this point, Jerusalem is filled with Jews celebrating the giving of the law. And Paul at that time is accused of violating or denying the law or teaching all men everywhere to reject the law. The temple grounds is a valid place of worship. And then they level another false accusation against him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which was actually a violation that was punishable by death. And interestingly, this would mean the death death of Trophimus, not of Paul. After all, Paul was a Jew. Now, they made this accusation because of assumption, not fact. Is that going on today? Now, so our experience is much the same. Now, between the outer court and the inner court, or the court of the women in the temple treasury, was a barricade, and intermittently on the post of that barricade were placards on which was written in Latin and Greek so all uh, Gentiles could read them. Now, two of those plaques have been found by archaeologists, one in 1871, the other in 1935, and they both said the same thing, and I quote, in Latin and Greek, it would read, No man of alien race is to enter within the barricade that goes around the temple. And if anyone is taken in the act, let him know that he has himself to blame for the penalty of death that follows. Now, if Paul had taken Trophimus beyond the barricades, he would have done so at the cost of Trophimus' life, which would not have made him much of a friend. And also, why would he do such a thing when his very presence on the Temple Mount was meant to prove to the Jews that he did not disregard the law? So why would he violate the law right in front of them? It was a false accusation. Now, that reminds us that Jesus was arrested and falsely accused. Peter was arrested and falsely accused. Stephen was arrested and falsely accused. Paul was arrested and falsely uh, accused. There's a pattern developing here. And this pattern makes its way makes its way all through church history right up to our day. And a read through Fox's book of martyrs will tell you too that agree that this has been so. Now, here's the thing I want you to consider this morning from our opening verses. If our desire is to be like Jesus, then we must make this consideration and accept it. And that is doing God's will and obeying God's word will cause us to be viewed as evil. Doing God's will and obeying God's word will cause us to be viewed as evil. Now, this was the experience of Jesus. This was the experience of Peter. This was the experience of Stephen and Paul. But it has a history that even predates Jesus and spans beyond the age of the church, even into the tribulation. Case in point, Daniel 6, 3 to 5 says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because he had an excellent spirit in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps thought, you know, the king is right. Daniel's awesome and we should submit to his authority. Is that what it says? No, the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning what? The law of his God. We'll talk more about this in a few moments. 
Then on into the tribulation period, which by the way, may I remind you that the great escape precedes the great tribulation. We won't be here for that. Amen. Amen. Now during that time in Revelation 6, 9, at the opening of the initial seals of judgment, John says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for what? For the word of God and the testimony which they held. Now, listen, if we want to be like Jesus, we're not going to be loved by everybody. Was he not despised and rejected by men? So should we not expect the same treatment to a degree? Now listen, we're being called evil today for believing there are two genders. Because the Bible says there are two genders and science would agree. Now, we're being called evil today for believing marriage is between a man and a woman. We are called evil today because of our belief in the word of God. And we are in good company when that label is attached to us. Because it associates us very, us very definitely with Christ and many throughout the ages of history. Now, in 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 5, we're reminded, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in who? Christ Jesus. Now, Paul did none of the things he was accused of. Jesus did none of the things he was accused of. Stephen did none of the things that he was accused of. However, Paul may have gone a bit too far in his efforts not to offend the Jews. And his reward for his behavior was being beaten, imprisoned. And from this point forward, Paul would be labeled as an ambassador in chains. Now listen. This is vital to our understanding today as imitators of Christ because many are denying the Bible and its principal doctrines in an effort to become accepted by the world. Listen, it didn't work for Paul and it's not going to work today. We need to stand on the word of God and the word of God alone if we want to be like Jesus. Amen. Now look at 30 to uh, 32 once again. All the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of, out of the temple, and immediately the doors, doors were shut. So Paul went looking for James to ask him, why did you tell me to do that? No, that's not what happened. Now, as they were seeking to what? Kill him. News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now, there's great symbolism here in verse 30. As the doors to the temple are shut after Paul is removed, representing his rejection by his own beloved countrymen in its final stage. Now... As we mentioned in our intro, his journey is now going to take him from Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews and Judaism, to Rome, the capital of the world and paganism. And this indeed mimicked his practice in every city, going to the Jew first and then to the Greek or the Gentile. Now, Luke makes it clear that the beating that Paul was receiving was going to stop only when Paul was dead. 
And this was prevented by the arrival of the commander of the garrison from the Antonio Fortress, along with hundreds of soldiers. Now, or the Tower of Antonio, I should say. This is on the northwest corner of the temple grounds. And at that time, there were 500 soldiers who were assigned to the garrison there. And it was only two flights of stairs away from the court of the Gentiles. Now, verse 32 uses the plural for centurions, telling us that at minimum there were 200 soldiers because centurion means to have charge over a 100. Now, 200K, maybe 300, perhaps even all 500, and their arrival stopped Paul from being beaten to death. Now, because this was a violation of the courtyard rules, and that being religious in nature, and in regards to a holy place to the Jews, the Romans, who normally reserve capital punishment for themselves, made an allowance for the Jews in these cases to carry out the death sentence on violators of their religious law and traditions. But, as we said, Paul couldn't have violated the rule. He was a Jew which means the violators of the rule actually were the Jews themselves, not Paul. Now, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 18, Paul says to Timothy, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed for Thessaloniki. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must also beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, what are the next two words? No one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully uh, preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Paul adds this. I was also delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, Paul said, At my first offense, or when I first defended myself, no one stood with me. Does that remind you of anybody else who was alone at their trial and all those who were close to him had forsaken him? Yeah, okay, I'm just checking. Now, our next point is obvious, but it needs to be said, and people need to recognize it today within the body of Christ as a truth. Now, listen, here's something we need to see and embrace in order to be like Jesus. Listen, to be like Jesus will never put you in the majority. To be like Jesus will never put you in the majority. Now, there's a balance to that that we'll unwrap here for a few moments, where verse 30 says, The whole city was disturbed, and all the people ran together, seized Paul, drug him out of the temple. So listen, here's Paul, one man against an entire city of people, the majority of whom want to see him dead. Now, back to Daniel for a moment and the time that the satraps and governors sought to trap him concerning his faith in God. The text continues that we read earlier in 6 to 10 of Daniel 6 and says, So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to the king, King Darius lived forever. 
all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O kingy, shall be cast, they're buttering the guy up, it's pretty obvious, shall be cast in the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before who? His God, as was his custom since his early days. Now, the governors and satraps were obviously watching. When Daniel violated the royal statute, which according to Medo-Persian law, could not be altered or changed, they went and reported to King Darius the actions of Daniel. Now, where did Daniel wind up for this violation? He wound up in the lion's den, didn't he? How many other people were with him? None. Daniel was there by himself with a herd of hungry Lions. Did he survive? Was the Lord with him? Just like Paul reported of his own experience. Now, Daniel stood alone. Jesus stood alone. Stephen stood alone. And here Paul stands alone before an entire city that is bent on killing him. Now, our point, though obvious, is critical for us in our understanding today is the numbers of us are shrinking in comparison to the numbers opposed to us, which is rapidly growing. Now, the church is still growing all over the world. Amen. The church is growing rapidly in Iran. The largest concentration of Christians in the world is in China, where Christianity has gone underground, yet it continues to grow. But the fact is, uh, the number of us versus them is changing dramatically as people are growing more and more intolerant of Christianity because they deem Christianity to be intolerant. Now, Acts 18, 5 to 12 says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to who? The Gentiles, and he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Now listen, here's a word for you, here's a word for me in this changing climate of animosity towards the church today. Do not be afraid. Amen? Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Why? For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Uh, when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, obviously this was a promise specific to one city, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul, brought him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to what? To the law. Now listen, if you want to be like Jesus... If you want to stand for Jesus, you need to be ready to stand alone. 
Even if that means you stand against the whole city, even if that means you stand against the whole campus, even if that means you stand against the rest of the office, warehouse, or even the neighborhood, standing alone is often what we do when we take a stand for Jesus. Now, listen, our suffering like Paul's isn't going to be any way redemptive, as was true of the sufferings of Christ, but the experience will be the same in the sense of either being alone or among the very few. Daniel stood alone because he stood against the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood together as a group because they stood against the king and refused to bow to the sound of the trumpet and the worship of the idol. And the Lord was with Daniel, and a fourth appeared in the burning, fiery furnace with the trio of uh, those who were willing to stand in a small group. And the fourth was in the appearance of the Son of God. That is consistent with what Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Speak up because I am with you and he is with us today. Amen. Amen. Now, remember this. James, in his very delicate language in James 4, 4, says, Adulterers and adulteresses. He was trying to win friends and influence people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Now, remember, spiritually, adultery, adulterers and adulteresses, male and female, is uh, synonymous with idolatry to the Jew. And this is obviously James, the Lord's half-brother. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself a what? An enemy of God. Is much of the church today trying to make friends of the world by bowing to their demands? Well... The end result, according to the word of God, is not what they desire, but rather making oneself an enemy of God. Listen, being like Jesus is never going to put us in the majority. But the majority of the time, it will put us in situations where standing alone is going to be required. And if we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to be ready to stand alone or with a limited few. Now, let's wrap up our time at 33 to 36. I don't know why I didn't hear an amen after that, but I'll... Okay, there it is. 33 to 36. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he'd done. And some among the multitudes cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. Now, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying out what? Away with him. Now listen, being bound with two chains simply means Paul was bound with a Roman soldier on either side, something he would experience at length in the not-too-distant future. The garrison commander asked the crowd, who is this guy? What did he do? The crowd in response yelled out or cried out an assortment of charges because the crowd was so unruly he could neither discern their answers nor determine what was actually true. He commands Paul then to be taken to the barracks where he can more quietly find out who this guy is and what he's being accused of. But the crowd then began to grow so violent, the soldiers had to lift Paul up over their shoulders and heads as they made their ascent up the two flights of stairs. Now, the violent and boisterous crowd is yelling away with him as they made their way to the safety of the barracks. Now, again, reminding us of the experience of Jesus in his hours before his death in John 19, 12 to 16. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, 
he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out what? Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Now the cries of the multitude here in our chapter don't mean get this guy out of here. It means take him out and kill him, just as it meant with Jesus. Now, listen, don't worry this morning, relax. Our final point is not going to be, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to be ready to die for him. Now, myriads of people have died for him down through the ages, and sometimes that is part of the result of living in a fallen world. But that's not going to be our point, even though it's true. Philippians 1, 21 to 26, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain, but I, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to be, depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now listen this morning. Jesus died for us so we could live for him. And yes, there are those who have died for him throughout the ages. As a matter of fact, there have been over a hundred million Christians who have been slain or martyred for their faith, and millions more will be added to their number during the tribulation. But as Paul said, while departing this world is a far better option, remaining alive in the flesh is more needful for the sake of others. After all, it's the church that has been commissioned to go to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, We've recognized we will never be the majority here on earth. We've recognized that we will often stand alone and be viewed as evildoers. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 3 to 4. We've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries or worshiping things other than God. In regard to these, those who practice those things, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Dissipation meaning unsavedness. Speaking evil of who? Of you. Now, we mentioned in the past that as Christians, we're to be nothing like the world. And our past is to be viewed as Peter says here. And I have to say, I view my own past with deep regret Because it was wasted time that could have been spent not doing the will of the Gentiles, but rather doing the will of God. Now, here's our last point for our time this morning. Listen, there is no greater aspiration in life than to be like Jesus. There is no greater aspiration in life than to be like Jesus. So what exactly does that mean? Let me ask you this. Is Jesus God? Is God love? Yes. Now listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am what? Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me what? Nothing. Now, Corinth, obviously, a Greek city, would obviously be home to theaters and amphitheaters. Greek tragedies and plays would be performed there, and it was a common practice of the day to place on the stage a brass pot or plate that would vibrate and amplify the sound into the surrounding seating area. And Paul says, listen, maybe you speak with the tongues of men or even the language of angels. Maybe you display a lot of spiritual attributes but are loveless You'd like a sounding brass on the play of a Greek stage, making an amplifying noise but being empty yourselves. Now, Jesus is the second member of the triune Godhead. Amen? God is love. Amen? And therefore, love is defined by the actions of Jesus while here on earth. Now, that tells us this. To be like Jesus is to stand against hypocrisy. What did he say to those who were accusing him of breaking the Sabbath? What was his pet name for the scribes and the Pharisees? Hypocrites. So God is love. Jesus is God. To be like Jesus, we stand against hypocrisy. Jesus called sin, sin. Jesus warned of hell. And he did so with a heart that desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He had a great love for a lost and dying world. And in that love, he told them the truth. As John said in the gospel where he likens him unto the word of God, uh, John 1 that is. And he said, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and what? Who knows? Truth, full of grace and truth. Now, here's what we need to recognize this morning. Jesus isn't who many people say he is today. He's not a pacifist. He's not indifferent to the sins of the world. He came to die to pay the price for sins and to set man free from the grip of the law of sin and death and the temptations of the adversary. Listen, Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Amen? He's our great high priest. He is the one that was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He is the Passover lamb. He's the fulfillment of the feast of first fruits who was dead and is alive forevermore and was the firstborn among many brethren. He is the king of the Jews. Still, he's the captain of our salvation. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And listen, he is our soon coming king. He came once as a lamb of God. He's coming back as a lion of Judah. He let his own creation kill his physical body. And he's coming back to judge all who have rejected his offer of salvation. Now in Revelation 19, 11 to 16, John says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in true righteousness, he judges and what? 
makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, speaking of judgment. And on his heads were many crowns, speaking of sovereignty and authority over all creation. He had a name written on him that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The Word of God. The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Earlier we're told the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. What is that symbolic of? The word of God. That with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this same Jesus, who's coming again, was accused of violating the law. He was accused of being evil. It was said that he did the miracles that he did by the power of Beelzebub or Satan. And the fact was, he died alone. He was in the tomb alone. He ascended alone. But he's not coming back alone. He's coming back with us because when we see him, we will be like him. And listen, while we await that glorious day, the truth is, if you want to do anything meaningful meaningful in life, the highest of those things is to seek to be like Jesus. It is the worthiest of goals in this life. And all else is a minute and distant second in comparison to that. Listen, we can't let the pressures around us redefine what the Bible says or who Jesus is. He is presented to us in great clarity. You can find him in both Testaments. He is fully revealed in the Old Testament and the New. As the uh, Feast of Israel point to him, he fulfilled four of the feasts, the spring feast, that is, when he came the first time, he'll fulfill the three fall feasts when he returns the second time. And it is quite clear that Jesus is the Son of God, and all that he has done is to be modeled by those who seek to follow him as imitators of God and his dear children. Somebody say amen this morning. And Father, we are grateful for our time in your word, and we thank you that Paul, in the midst of all that we have read thus far and will read in coming chapters, did not waver. He stood fast even when he stood alone. He'd already declared that he was willing to die for the gospel of Christ in Jerusalem if need be. But we thank you that you weren't done with him. And because you weren't done with him, man could do nothing to him outside of bruise his body. But you watched over him and sustained him and even used the pagan Romans to carry him out of harm's way so that he could be safe and make his way to Rome. And Lord, we thank you that the same is true for us. And Lord, we often forget, but we need to remember and recognize that you're the one who has determined the number of our days. And Lord, you've told us what it's going to be like in the last days, and it would be very similar to your last days, Stephen's last days. Peter's last days and Paul's last days and we're in the last days. So help us, Lord, to continue to seek to be like you no matter what's going on around us. We thank you for the truths we've encountered this morning. Bless us now as we go. Help us to live them out 
as proof that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we are your children. We give you thanks for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.